All right. Hey, I want to greet everyone and uh, thank you for joining us today through our online campus. It's a great, great joy. I know I say this every week, but that's the way I feel. It's a great, great joy to welcome all of you uh, to worship in this special format. I hope you're doing well uh, and uh, staying safe, and I look forward to the day when uh, I'll get to see many of you again face-to-face when you return to in-person worship. And if you're someone who is a guest who worships with us through our online campus then, and you live in this community, this area, I hope the day will come when you'll come visit us in person and we'll get a chance to meet face-to-face. If you've got a Bible with you today, I want you to grab it and go with me to the New Testament book of Romans Find the 12th chapter and just hold that ready for a moment. We're going to begin a new brief three-week sermon series this weekend called Made for Worship. And the simple premise behind the series is that a heart of worship is something that we need to cultivate every single day of our lives because we were made by God for worship. Now, if I were to ask you today, what do you think of when you hear the word worship? Chances are many of you, if not most of you, would think about what happens when we come together in a place like this as a designated time on a designated day because we come together to worship. That's what we're doing right now. And while I would never tell you that's the wrong answer, if that's the answer you gave, that's what you think about when I say the word worship, I would never tell you that's the wrong answer. The truth is that's really the wrong answer. Because when you are a Christian, the worship of God needs to be something that is an everyday activity for you. It needs to be a lifestyle for you. Think of it like this. If we were to just pause and turn in our Bibles all the way back to the book of Genesis in the very beginning chapters, we would see that after God created Adam and Eve they pretty much lived a lifestyle of worship with God. They pretty much worshiped God without interruption. It was just the reality of every day for them. It was their lifestyle. They lived with God in what one of my college professors used to call a community of unity. God provided everything Adam and Eve needed, and Adam and Eve responded with gratitude. They responded with reverence. They responded with honor. They responded with submission. And you can go on and on and on. Now, there's not a single verse that we find, like, for example, in Genesis chapter 2 or even somewhere in the beginning of Genesis chapter 3 that tells us that. But as you read through Genesis chapter 2 and even portions of chapter 3, that's the feeling you get. At least that's the feeling I get when I read those passages. But that lifestyle of worship was interrupted and transformed when Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3. In fact, look at these words on the screen. This was after Adam and Eve had disobeyed God after they had sinned and eaten the fruit that had been forbidden. This is Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. This is what we read. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, the reason why Adam and Eve hid from God is because they had disobeyed him. It was because they had sinned. And that changed the relationship that they had with God. And so you read this, and it's pretty clear that before their sin, Adam and Eve had that up-close and personal relationship with God. They lived in that community of unity with God. When they made their daily to-do list, it simply said time with God or worshiping God. That was it. 
But that ended when they sinned because, as I just mentioned, or as I just said, their relationship with God changed. There was a separation that took place as a result of their sin because sin separates. That's what it does. And so at the end of Genesis chapter 3, this is verse 23 now, we see Adam and Eve being banished from the Garden of Eden. Their relationship with God had changed. They no longer lived in that perfect fellowship with him, that community of unity with him. Then when you turn the page to Genesis chapter 4, and you continue the story, the story of God as it's captured in the early chapters of the book of Genesis, the very next thing you see is the very first two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, engaged in an act of worship. Look at these words from Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions as an offering to the Lord. Now, I want you to notice something with me. When I was thinking about the reality of this part of the story this week, this part of the early story of God this week, it's clear to me that the worship of God had moved from something that was uninterrupted and constant, that's the way it was with Adam and Eve in the very beginning before they sinned, the worship of God had moved from something that was uninterrupted and constant to something that was, for lack of a better word, scheduled. When we look at Cain and Abel being involved in worship, what we are seeing is that on a certain day, at a certain time, Cain and Abel both brought offerings to God. That was their worship. That became their worship. And so it moved from something with Adam and Eve that was constant and uninterrupted to something that was scheduled. Worship went from being uninterrupted, an uninterrupted relationship with God, to something that was scheduled. And the reality of this continues the deeper you get into the Old Testament. That was especially true for the nation of Israel because God gave them elaborate details and elaborate plans about times of worship and acts of worship. But when you go all the way back to the beginning and you see worship in its purest form, you see that for Adam and Eve, before they sinned, worship was just a reality of everyday life as they lived in a perfect relationship with God. It was an everyday celebration. Now, having said that, here's the deal. I absolutely love the reality of coming together as a spiritual family, as a community of faith, as a body of believers, whatever you want to call it. I love coming together for times of worship, just like we're doing right now, even though in this time of COVID-19, it's a little bit different, at least for us, because we're doing it digitally. As long as I can remember, a huge part of my life has revolved around doing what you and I are doing right now. And I believe this is a significant part of the will of God for every single person who is a believer. The Bible teaches us that in a variety of different ways. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to embrace that uninterrupted lifestyle of worship that Adam and Eve enjoyed in the beginning. And if you do, then when we do come together for scheduled acts of worship like this, our worship will be so much more significant than anything we've ever experienced before because we'll be prepared for worship 
moments of worship like this unlike we've ever been prepared before. That's why we need to embrace a lifestyle of worship. Can I tell you that for the longest time, I thought the most important thing when it came to worship was creating a better worship experience. Because a better worship experience would allow everyone to get more out of worship. And so my goal was always better everything. My goal was always better planning, better media, better music, better flow, better preaching, and on and on and on. But the truth is, better form doesn't always mean better content. And better form doesn't always mean better experience. That's not to say that I am not deeply committed to always doing our best when it comes to our times of worship because God deserves our best. Wherever you are, you should say amen to that. But the best way to have the best and most meaningful worship experience in a setting like this is not dependent upon what we do or what we provide. It's dependent upon coming together prepared to embrace the worship experience because we've embraced a lifestyle of worship. And that brings us to Romans chapter 12. And so if you've got your Bibles open there, uh, I want you to follow along as I read our scripture text for today, our passage that we're going to study as we think about what it means or what it looks like to live a lifestyle of worship. That's the first message in this Made for Worship series. We're going to try to discover that as we study Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. So you follow along as I read. Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ... We, who are, many, who are many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If, if it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. I always ask for God to bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Here's what I'm going to do as we think about what it looks like to live a lifestyle of worship, which is something that all of us who are people of faith need. We're going to take this passage of Scripture, and I'm going to share with you three words that are either stated in the passage or implied in the passage that I believe are absolutely essential when it comes to that lifestyle of worship. And so if you're someone who likes to take notes, I'm going to give you the first words. You can write it down somewhere, and you can just go to town. The first word is surrender. First thing that's required to live a lifestyle of worship that prepares us, that better prepares us for moments of worship, experiences of worship like this, is the word surrender. And I'm just going to touch on this first point briefly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. If we go back to verse 1, 
in Romans chapter 12, Paul writes and says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, if you've got your Bible open to Romans chapter 12 and you're looking at that with me, put your finger on circle, highlight, underline, whatever it is you might like to do. The words, offer your bodies. Paul says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. At the, at the risk of being overly simplistic, when we think about that phrase, offer your bodies, Paul is saying that we need to surrender all, all of ourselves to God. This is the first step to living a lifestyle of worship. We need to surrender ourselves, all of ourselves, to God all of the time. It's easy, and I'm sure you know this is true, it's easy to compartmentalize your life and have maybe a religious or even a spiritual aspect or part of your life that you share with God, maybe on Sunday, for example, all while you're withholding the rest of your life for yourself. I've certainly known a lot of people who have lived or acted one way on Sunday and another way the rest of the week. Hey, I'm someone who has been guilty at times of living or acting one way on Sunday and living different the rest of the week. But God requires us to offer or surrender ourselves to him completely all of the time. Not part of the time, not just one day a week, not just when we're gathered together in in what we might think of as spiritual or religious settings, but all of the time. The word offer that Paul uses here when he says offer your bodies in verse 1 of Romans chapter 12, in the original language of the New Testament is the Greek word paristomi. And the way it's translated in my NIV Bible is really pretty good because it, it, it means offer. You can take it a step further, though, and say that really it means to give up or surrender. While I was doing a word study on this particular word, this word offer, I read that it was often used as a technical term for a priest when he was placing an offering to God on the altar. And so it really did carry the idea of surrendering something, surrendering what you were carrying, giving up what you were carrying. Another word that we could use, and this is a great word, would be yielding, surrendering, giving up, yielding something to God. And so Paul is saying that a lifestyle of worship begins when we surrender, when we give up, when we yield all that we are to God all of the time. Nothing about that should surprise us as believers because surrender is at the heart of who we are as people of faith. Surrender is at the heart of our saving faith. It's where our saving faith begins. And so the first thing we have to do, and I know it's really simple, if we want to live a lifestyle of worship that prepares us to experience worship on a deeper level, is we need to embrace what it means to surrender ourselves to God all of the time. Let me give you a second word. We'll spend a little bit more time on these next two words. The second word, if you like to take notes, is the word sacrifice. The first one is surrender. The second one is sacrifice. We're going to go back to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 
to begin talking about this. Again, Paul writes in verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, and here it is, to offer, we just talked about that, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, Paul used the term sacrifice or sacrifices because he knew that's something his ancient readers would fully understand. We think of religion today as a system of beliefs with corresponding behavior. But in ancient times, religion was primarily about sacrifice. It was about offering something of value to God or offering something of value to the gods if you were a pagan. And the reality of sacrifice was especially important in the Old Testament because every sacrifice for sin in the Old Testament became a prophetic picture of what Jesus would one day accomplish when he sacrificed his life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And unlike the sacrifices in the Old Testament for sin that were temporary, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was permanent. It's all we needed. So here's the bottom line. Paul talks about offering your body as a living sacrifice to teach us that when it comes to a lifestyle of worship, our attitude is first and foremost about giving and not getting. That's so important. I want to say it again. I want you to listen to me. Paul talks about offering your body as a living sacrifice. He uses that word sacrifice to teach us that when it comes to a lifestyle of worship, our attitude first and foremost is one of giving not getting. Now, can we just be honest for a minute and acknowledge that that's not the way a lot of believers approach worship, especially designated times of worship, designated experiences of worship, like the one we're involved in right now? And I'll be the first to say that I understand that this is hard to to come to worship with this attitude of giving, not getting, because we're conditioned to be consumers, and consumers think in terms of what you're going to get, not in terms of what you're going to give. But we need to remember that God's ways have always and will always be different from the rest of the world. I mean, let's think of it in terms of corporate worship, okay, and experience of worship. What you and I are doing right now, we're worshiping together, again, although it's a little bit different because of this virus. We're doing it digitally. Corporate worship isn't a time for us. It's a time for God. It's a time to come together with other believers, with other people who share the same faith that we have, to give God, to sacrifice to God that which God is due. I mean, as you continue to make your way through our passage here in Romans chapter 12, there are two things that stand out to me with regard to the connection between sacrifice, what we offer to God, and worship. The first one is found in the next verse, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Paul goes on to write and says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, then, or your mind rather, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, there are a lot of great things to learn from that verse, but in our context, I'm just going to focus on one. When we come to corporate worship, we don't come conforming to the pattern of this world by approaching worship our participation in worship, worship rather, with an attitude that says, please me, because worship isn't about me, it's about God. And so we don't want to conform to the pattern of the world, where everyone's all about themselves. When it comes to worship, we choose God's way by understanding that worship is first and foremost about Him. It's not about me, 
It's not about you in this moment. It's about God. I, uh, for some reason this past week, uh, was thinking about a church that had approached me to be their pastor many, many years ago when I still lived in Oklahoma. And it was a church located in Dallas, Texas. I was living in Oklahoma. I, I was serving a church there. The church was doing really well. I was living in the town that I was born and raised in. I, I, I loved that area. My, my family loved that area. My kids especially loved living there. Uh, and so really I didn't have any reason to be interested in going anywhere except for the fact that the possibility of living in Dallas, Texas was always intriguing to me. I lived for several years in Houston, uh, but I loved the Dallas area, the, the, uh, the whole metroplex there, and uh, I, I always thought it might be a, a good place to live. And so, even though everything in my mind, every, everything in my reasoning said, don't waste your time, I agreed to go and to visit this church. Now, listen, friends, over the years, I haven't had a tremendous amount of experiences of going to other churches and interviewing for them. I've not done that a lot, but I have some, have some really weird experiences when I have. And so I remember it was the summertime, and uh, it, I got on a plane in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I lived, and I flew to Dallas, really a short flight, and uh, a guy was there to pick me up. And I don't want this to come across wrong, but he looked like he had just gotten off of work and that his entire day had been spent wrestling some kind of a, of a machine that was covered with oil because that's just the way he looked and that's the way he smelled. And uh, I thought, well, this is an interesting choice for somebody to pick me up at the airport. So we, uh, I didn't have a bag because I was only going to be overnight. I just carried on. We walked out uh, of the terminal down to the parking lot where we were going to get in his car, and his car was a truck. It was a little bitty Chevy S10 pickup truck, you know, which is an older, a very small truck. And so uh, he opened the door for me, and uh, there were tools everywhere in this little truck that just had this one bench seat. There was nothing else, this bench seat. And so I had to, I had to hold my, my, uh, my little suitcase on my lap, and on the floor beneath me was a great big toolbox that I had to straddle, and there was just stuff everywhere. We pulled out of the airport, and he didn't have any air conditioning. It was in the middle of the summer in Dallas, Texas. And I'm thinking, boy, these people in this church are really excited about the possibility of me coming to this church to send somebody like this to pick me up at the airport. Took me to a hotel, got me set up in a hotel, and the whole rest of the, of the short visit with the folks in this church went pretty much along the same lines as my experience of being picked up at the airport. Needless to say, I got back home and uh, just told them I wasn't interested, and that was the end of it. But for some reason, this last week, that church came to my mind, and I wondered, you know, it's been many, many years ago, I wondered how that church was doing, because it was a church at the time that I thought had a lot of potential. It was, it was a, not a small church, it wasn't a big church, but it was an okay-sized church, but I thought, man, this church is positioned, it's poised to really be able to grow with the right kind of leadership. And so, I got online, I, I, I found uh, their website. And I thought, well, I'll just watch uh, a little bit of one of their services. And I clicked on the latest service, uh, and uh, it looked like they, they might not even be meeting in person. I couldn't tell for sure because I didn't see anybody else in the picture except for two young men who were leading the worship. One was playing the guitar, and one was playing, uh, I know there's a word for it. It wasn't, a drum, it wasn't a drum set. It wasn't even a single drum. It was some kind of a box, you know, they were sitting on and playing 
I'm sure you know there's a name for it, but I'm not, I'm not uh, up to date with all that kind of stuff. And so I watched for a little while, and I got to tell you something, and you're going to think really badly of me when I say this, but I'm being honest with you. It was really bad. It was really, really bad. And I was sitting there. I was in my office. I was sitting there. I was watching that, and all of a sudden, has this ever happened to you? All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came crashing down and just really hammered me in the moment with this thought. What do you think matters the most to God in this moment? The quality of what they're doing or the sincerity of their hearts as they're doing it? I think we probably all know the answer to that question. Because I was sitting there thinking, man, I'm sure I never went to that church. If this is the quality that they have to produce, I don't think I would like sitting through a worship service that was like this, let alone be the one who would get up and preach afterwards. But that was just that mentality of thinking that worship is about my experience or the experience of any human in this world. Worship is not about you and me. It's about God. It's about us making sure that we understand that God is the priority in what we're doing. And so, uh, we can't have that pattern of the world that leads us or directs us when it comes to our attitude or how we embrace worship experiences and worship opportunity because God's ways are different. We've got to focus on Him and Him alone, and that starts in our heart not on the quality of everything that's happening around us. You go on, and the, the next thing we see in this passage is found in the next verse, which is verse 3, because uh, he, Paul goes on to say, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Now, listen to me close. As I studied this passage, <clears throat> it became clear to me that Paul uses this verse primarily and if you can see this if, if you look at the passage yourself. Paul uses this verse primarily to transition to another level of teaching on spiritual gifts and serving. We'll talk about that in a minute. But in the transition, he shares a spiritual truth that has a broad application because he writes this phrase, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. And that statement, coupled with all the Bible has to say about the importance of humility, has an application to pretty much every part of our lives, including worship. When we come <coughs> excuse me, to worship, to corporate worship, to worship experiences like this, thinking things like, I hope I like the music, or I hope I like the songs that are chosen, or something like that, we're probably thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought because, again, we've forgotten that the most important thing about worship is not me, it's not you, it's God. It's our time together to give God that which God is due. Last week, we began our time of corporate worship by singing two very contemporary songs about the love of God. We sang, Your Love Awakens Me, and then we sang the song, Reckless Love. Now, I love both those songs, but I got to tell you, I especially love that song, Reckless Love. I know, though, that not everyone feels that way. I've heard the criticisms of the song, but honestly, and I don't have time to talk about it in detail, I'm just not someone who is as hard on songs as a lot of people are. They just want to pick apart every part of the song and criticize it. 
But I remember standing right down there where I always sit on Saturday night and thinking to myself when we finished singing the song Reckless Love, this would be a great place now for a song of response. We just sang two great songs about God's love. This would be a great place for a song that was more focused on our response to the great love of God. And about that time, Brian began to transition from the second to the third song. And then Heidi led us in the old hymn, I Stand Amazed in the Presence. And I can't tell you today how deeply moving that was for me, and I'm sure it was for many of you. Of course, I'd pay money to hear Heidi sing anytime, anyplace. I feel that way about everybody who was on the stage last week. But I thought singing that song made the worship set the perfect blend of songs. Because after singing about God's incredible love for us, we sang about our response. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song will ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Because worship is all about God. We sang about the love of God. And then we sang about our response to the love of God. How amazed we are. Now the truth is, I was kind of hesitant to tell that story because every time uh, especially the part where I say how much I enjoyed singing, I stand amazed in the presence, because any time, it seems like any time I mention that I really enjoyed singing a hymn in our corporate worship experience, I will get people, I will get multiple people who will come up to me or who will contact me and say something like this, I'm like you, Pastor. I love singing the old hymns. I'm like you, Pastor. The old hymns are my favorite. I want you to listen to me really close. I've said this before, and I'll probably say it again. I've been in church my entire life. From the time I was a baby in the nursery, I've been a Christian for over 50 years, and I've been a pastor for over 40 years, and I have loved all the music used over all of the years that I've been in church. Going all the way back to the old hymns, to every new generation of music that's come along right up till today. I love music it all. Do I like some more than others? Sure. But I have loved all the different music. I don't love the old hymns any more than I love the newest songs of praise that we sing. And that's good because, you know, at the end of the day, worship is not about me and my music preference. It's not about you and your music preference. It's about giving God what he alone deserves. All of our attention, all of our worship, all of our love, all of our adoration, and on and on and on. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15 says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. You know what that is, friends? That's a great description of a lifestyle of worship through Jesus, or in other words, in honor of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, let us continually to offer Excuse me, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The word sacrifice that we come means that we come with an attitude of paying a price, that we come with an attitude of saying, I'm giving up something to you, God, for you, God. Let's give him the obedience of making our worship about him alone. That doesn't happen 
when our satisfaction is dependent upon whether we like the songs or the style of the music, and it could be a hundred other things as well. Now, truth is, I probably should end this point before I make anybody too angry. So let me just say this. We've talked about the importance of surrender and the importance of sacrifice as essential elements to living a lifestyle of worship. Let me just give you one more. If you'd like to take notes, write down next to number three, the word service. So the three words that we're looking at from Romans 12, 1 through 8 is surrender, sacrifice, and now service. And let's just go back and remind ourselves what verses 4 through 8 say. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Now, I'm not going to break this down into an explanation. I'm simply going to use the overall emphasis Paul puts on serving to make a point or to make the point that serving is a, significant, is a significant part of a lifestyle of worship. Remember, our passage began with these words. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And then Paul said, this is your spiritual act of worship. I want to talk about that last phrase for a minute, your spiritual act of worship. There are multiple words in the Greek language, which is the original language of the New Testament, that are translated worship, the most common of which is the Greek word proskuneo, which literally translated means to kiss the hand. The idea is coming to someone, bowing down in front of them, taking their hand, kissing them as a sign of adoration, honor, love, respect, and on and on and on. That's not the word used here. At the end of the verse in my NIV Bible, where Paul talks about your spiritual act of worship. It's not the word proskuneo. It's the Greek word latreia. And the Greek word latreia literally means service to God. And what that teaches us is that worshiping God happens in many ways. It happens, we've already seen, when we come to Him in surrender. It happens, we've already seen, when we come to Him in sacrifice. But it also happens when we come to Him through service. We worship God when we put our gifts into action by serving others, by serving His church. That means teaching children in a classroom is an act of worship. Visiting a lonely neighbor is an act of worship. Encouraging your spouse, encouraging your children, or encouraging a friend is an act of worship. Being generous to someone who is in need is an act of worship, and on and on and on. Service is a part of a lifestyle of worship. I read once that Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, had a sign, a handmade sign over her kitchen sink that said, worship services held here three times daily. Now, you might hear that story and think, well, what kind of a cheapskate was Billy Graham that he wouldn't buy his wife a dishwasher? But if that's your thought, you're missing the point. The point is, Ruth Graham knew that when she was serving her family by doing something as menial as washing dishes, she was actually serving God. When she was serving her family by doing something as menial as washing dishes, she was actually worshiping God. Because we worship God through our service. 
we experience a lifestyle of worship when we live with an attitude that says, and this captures it all, friends, when we live with an attitude that says, I'm not here to be served, I'm here to serve. We have the greatest experience of worship when we come into a setting like this, what we're doing right now, whether it's digitally or whether it will be in person, when we come into a setting and an experience like this where we say our attitude is, I'm not here to be served, I'm here to serve. So we come with an attitude of sacrifice, we come with an attitude of surrender, or excuse me, we come with an attitude of surrender, we come with an attitude of sacrifice, and we come with an attitude of service. Well, I know I'm out of time, so let me just close by asking you a simple question. Uh, Based on the things that we've talked about today, are you living a lifestyle of worship characterized by those three things? Are you living a lifestyle of worship characterized by surrender, sacrifice, and service? Several years ago, I was in Savannah, Georgia, visiting my brother, who's a pastor there. You know my brother. He's preached here multiple times over the years. Uh, He preached here not long ago. Uh, On Sunday, we went to church, and after lunch, my brother and I played golf in the afternoon with a couple of men from the church. At one point, one of those men who honestly was being kind of critical the entire time we'd been together said to Kenneth, and I was standing right there, I heard the whole thing, he said, you know what, I didn't get anything out of service today. He could have easily said, I didn't get anything out of worship today. He's talking about the experience of worship. And as he continued to talk, he made it clear that that was, as far as he was concerned, pretty much everyone else's fault. Because he didn't like anything about what happened that day. But friends, I'm going to tell you, he was wrong. Because the experience of worship, it's not about you. And if you're, first, if you're first as a believer, now, not necessarily as a seeker, but as a believer, someone who is supposed to be a, a, a mature, grounded Christian, if your first attitude about the experience of worship is, what am I going to get out of it? Then you're going the wrong direction when it comes to worship. The experience of corporate worship, the experience of worship isn't about you. It's about God. It's about giving God His due as the creator and the sustainer of all things. And the best way for us to understand that is by practicing a lifestyle of worship that revolves around the understanding that every single day we need to live a life of surrender We need to live a life of sacrifice, and we need to live a life of service. There's so much for us in worship when we don't go into worship thinking primarily about ourselves. There's so much for us in worship when the only thing that occupies our heart and mind as we worship is the reality and the wonder and the majesty of God. I want you to pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the chance to study today as we begin this new series called Made for Worship. And I know that we are people of preferences. We are people of opinions. I know we are people of likes and dislikes and on and on and on. We're multi-generational. We have different backgrounds and experiences, and you can go on and on and on. 
and it's not my intent in any way, shape, or form to, to make anybody feel wrong or bad or anything like that. It's simply my intent to do my best to bring all of us to a level of spiritual maturity where our lives genuinely honor you because our lives are so deeply committed to you, because we're deeply surrendered, because we embrace the daily need for sacrifice, and we want more than anything to serve you, worship you by serving other people. Help us to grow. Lead us to growth in our attitude toward worship. Help us to understand that worship is not a designated time or a designated experience. It's a lifestyle. And that lifestyle, if we embrace it, will make those designated times and experiences more wonderful, more fulfilling, more satisfying than anything we have ever experienced before. Help us to be committed to a lifestyle of worship. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.